turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, the greatest sermon ever preached, of course. And uh, we, we introduced this passage really last week when we talked about the issue of anger and conflict and whatnot. And, and how it is that we address that. But this is really part two, because although we can look at it in one setting, anger is such a, a, a serious issue, it's a gospel issue, um, that we really have to pause and, and address it. Um, and, and what we see here, the issue of reconciliation, requires the same attention. So uh, uh, I didn't look up the page number of your pew Bibles. Nevertheless, Matthew 5, you'll stand with me out of reverence of God's Word. We'll read verses 23 to 26. The evangelist Matthew writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, citing the words of Jesus. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's go to the Lord quickly in prayer. Our Father, as every time we gather, we, we ask for the same thing. You would open our hearts, we would receive your word, our mind that we would understand it, our eyes that we would see your glory, our ears we would heed your word, our mouths we speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves, to one another, and to this lost and dying world, and that you would open our hands and our feet, that we would go in obedience to Christ. Lord, this is a, uh, an issue that is easy to understand, difficult to apply. And give us the wisdom and the courage necessary to be obedient to your word. And may I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. May you be seated. When I was in high school, I had a teammate of mine. We were playing high school soccer. And in the middle of the game, he collided with a player of the other team. He immediately went down, was in incredible pain. They rushed him off to the hospital because he had fractured his leg. And it was a very serious fracture, and we knew his season was over with for us. He was going to be walking around in a cast. Well, after the game, you know, we all did our, our thing, and, and I know for, for my family and I, we went to the hospital to go see him, and we went to go visit with him, and he was not in good spirits. The problem wasn't just that he was going to miss the season and, and not see the guys, and he was stuck in the hospital, he had broken his leg. What was really bothering him, on top of all of that, was when the doctors came to put the bone back together, they didn't put it back together right. And if you know anything about medicine, you know that a bone not put back together correctly is going to create a lot of problems. It will not simply heal on itself. You have to fix that. The initial break is bad enough, but when you put it together, the bones won't really go the right way. And so there's only one way to fix that bone. You have to break it again. And when you break it again, you have to then set it right. So here was my teammate. Someone had grown to, to really appreciate, grew up with him. And he knew that at any time the nurses could come in, take him to another room, because they were going to have to take him through that whole process of breaking his bone and healing it again. What an awful thing to really have to sit and think about. You're going to have to go through that process. Well, when it comes to relationships, we need to do the same thing. Many of us, one of the things that we do is, is when a relationship is broken and our, and our lives start to fall apart and strife comes in, what we often do is we, we, we don't even make the initial attempt to bring healing. 
Why? Because that process seems a lot more difficult. But if you want longevity in your relationship, you want the law of the burdens off your back, you want to be consistent with the gospel of Jesus, you and I will have to learn to do the hard work. And that is to, to reset the bone, to reset the relationship. Last week, we, we looked at the, these first two verses, verses 21 and 22, where Jesus said that if, unless your righteousness surpasses that of, of, of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the first instance he gives us is that of anger. And he, he says that if you're angry at someone, if, if you have hate in your heart, you're far from the kingdom of God. You may look healthy and holy on the outside, but it's the heart that matters. And we talked about how, how easy it is for us to surrender to, 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 to resentment. Now, Jesus... Jesus gives us real practical advice on how it is we can heal from broken relationships. And the answer is simply reconciliation. Notice, first of all, Jesus shows us that reconciliation is an echo of the gospel. It is an echo of the gospel. I want you to notice this. Go back to verse 2. I want you to notice the, 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 the change in, in, in the second person plural to the singular. Verse 22 Everyone who is angry with his brother. He goes on, and whoever insults his brother. And he says, whoever says you fool, right? Notice it's generic. If any of y'all are doing this, right? You're awake now, right? If, if, if any of us, right? It is, it is plural. This applies to all of us. And then in verse 23, he narrows it down. It says, but if you are offering your gift, See, it's easy for us, isn't it, to, to say, well, anger is someone else's problem. You should have seen what my neighbor did uh, when he came over to my property, right? You, you, you should hear the words that my boss was using towards one of my coworkers. It's easy for us to lay the blame of anger on someone else. But Jesus doesn't allow that to happen when we talk about how to restore relationships, how to reconcile. If you, not them, but if you have a brother or a sister that you have conflict with, leave your gift there at the altar. Jesus has been arguing that outward piety is no cover for inward corruption. You can look nice and dress well and talk a good game, but if your heart is corrupt, you are, you are not righteous at all. Bragging about not being violent, we saw last week, doesn't mean we are righteous and holy because hate corrodes the human heart. But given the prevalence of anger and bitterness, what do we do when we have been wronged or in conflict or, or suffering through a broken relationship with someone? The answer to the damage caused by strife must be reconciliation. But reconciliation is frustratingly rarely Practice. In fact, I consider it the greatest frustration I've had in 20 years of ministry. The, the biggest frustration I've had is that right there. It's not about silly fights over the, uh, uh, the proverbial color of the carpet. It is when believers in conflict with other believers refuse to choose peace. And the reason is, is because... <coughs> Reconciliation is an echo of the gospel. When we get our feelings hurt, when we don't get our way, when things are blown out of proportion, we often choose to break off the relationship. 
We may do it by acting like Tarzan and throwing a fit. We may do it by deleting them from, from, from our social media accounts and our, and our phones. We may do it, we may do it by, 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 by not inviting them to things. We may do it a number of ways. But we would rather choose to leave the fractured relationship there rather than to let it heal. How many people in our lives right now, we do not want to have anything to do with them? Is that cousin who did that thing at that event? Is that coworker who showed up with an attitude? It's, it's, it's that business. It's that church member. It's that whatever. How many of us have said things and never apologized? How many of us have lashed out and never repented? How many of us were wounded and just cut them off forever? Reconciliation is a gospel issue. How can we as Christians, having been reconciled against a holy and righteous or with a holy and righteous God, then turn around and say, well, I can be reconciled with God, but, but my third cousin twice removed on my mother's side hurt my feelings and I'll never speak to them again. The implication is the sins you committed against your holy father pales in comparison to the wounds someone else caused you. Can I just encourage you? You are a far worse person than that. The sins you've committed against your holy maker are far worse than the sins your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, that church member, your, 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 your family member has ever committed against you. And yet, God made reconciliation Possible, And just as you have received that reconciliation from God, we are obligated in the gospel to extend the same to others. We just read earlier from 1 John 4 about how, how we love others. Why? Because he first loved us. What is the motto of love that John has in mind there? It's the cross. We are called to love for we have been Loved. So then, how, how, does, how does reconciliation affect us? How does not reconciliation affect us? Jesus points out two ways. First of all, reconciliation purifies worship. It purifies worship. You cannot worship in truth when you are at war with someone else. Notice the language he uses there starting in verse 22. If you are offering your gift at the altar, right? Now, scholars, for the most part, presume what Jesus has in mind here is the Day of Atonement is, is, is the event, and the setting is the temple. So what you have then is essentially their Easter, okay? This is, this is one of the most, if not the most important Jewish holiday on the calendar every year. And the whole point of the Day of Atonement is reconciliation, it is when all of Israel come in and they're, they're, they're situated in such a certain way and the priest then makes sacrifices to cover the sins of the people, to cover his own sins and everything else. And then he enters into the presence of God and he makes reconciliation for the people of Israel so that through the blood of the lamb, through the goats, through the sacrifices, God and man, though separated, their, their relationship broken, they can be healed. They can be reunited. It can be restored. And so Jesus uses that setting, it is presumed, to describe how hypocritical is it. You come ready to be reconciled with God and you won't talk to your neighbor. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You come to make an offering and, you, and your brother has something against you. Can I notice, uh, point out, just, I think I got three things here, just, just about the language Jesus is using here. First of all, the source of the conflict, oh, 
my, my things are off. Well, let me give you the first one before I give you the second one. I, I forgot to hit save when I changed it. The source of conflict is insignificance. I want you to notice, what, what does this guy showing up at the altar, what is his beef with his brother? What's, his, what's, what's the problem does he have with him? I don't know. I even looked it up in the Greek or trusted people who can, right? Jesus doesn't tell us. Why? Because the source of the conflict is insignificant. When there is tension between brothers or sisters or friends or whatever, it, it, it doesn't matter the subject of it. What we do is, is, is we say, well, that's a small issue. This is a big issue. And we all have different lists. Jesus says, if you have anything against your brother, address this problem. The answer to, to strife remains the, the same. Division requires unity. Brokenness requires healing. Sin requires forgiveness. Hate requires love. The source of that conflict isn't important. What is important is there is conflict. And what we've done is we say, well, that's not a big of a deal. I can tolerate it. You can't because then it'll fester. You'll keep a, a list of all the wrongs this person has done against you. And it'll get worse, and it'll get worse, it'll get worse. But notice here, secondly, which will be numbered onely. Secondly, who is to blame in the conflict is secondary. Not that it's not important. It is secondary. The primary issue is, is there conflict? Are you seeking to resolve it? Who is to blame is secondary. When we reconcile... We are taking responsibility for the role we contributed to the conflict. That is to say, you are 100% responsible for every bit of the conflict you've contributed to. Maybe you're saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I only contributed to 5% of the conflict because I hung up on them, right? I'm 5%. Now, you're lying to yourself, but let's just pretend you are as righteous as only you think you are, right? You, you've only contributed 5% of the conflict. You want to know who's responsible for the 5%? Not your mother, not your father, not your upbringing, not the person you've got problems with, not your neighbor, not because uh, you, you were out of Wheaties that morning and didn't have a good breakfast. None of those reasons. You are. You are responsible for every bit of, of the conflict you've contributed to it. How you responded to issues, the words you chose to use, the, the anger in which you lashed out, the, the, the silent treatment you've given them, the distance you've caused, the, the things you've done behind their backs, the, 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 the wrath that is within your heart that, that you haven't verbalized yet. All of that you're responsible for. So who is the blame is secondary to the issue. Notice thirdly, you must start the process of healing. Let me see a show of hands here. Let's say you're out on a country road somewhere near Gratz, Kentucky, okay? God's country. And, and you're driving down the road and it's late at night and someone else is coming the other way. Your brights are on. When do you dim your lights? Are you one of those people, you see lights coming, you dim them to the glory of God. Or are you one of these people, you wait, I'll dim my lights if they dim them first. Because if you're going to blind me, I'm blinding you. Who are you at option two? No, no, just, I knew you. Right, anyone else, right? I know some of you are probably lying to me right now. You, who, who, who are lying, I'll meet you at the altar at the end of the service, you are a terrible person, right? Someone needs to tell you that. Doesn't that drive you? Or, or maybe you're one of those persons, you're like, well, I'll dim the lights, but they have five seconds to dim the lights because if they don't, I'm busting those things out. Put the 
fog light on just to blind them and endanger their lives. That's probably some of you all here. I, I know, right? I grew up in the country. I, I know. I know, okay? You're a terrible person. We assume if there's to be peace, they should make the first step. Can I tell you why one of the many reasons or two of the main reasons people don't reconcile? We don't want to reconcile because we, we think we can be happy in our misery. Figure that one out. The second reason is because we always assume it's the other person's responsibility. You know what they think? It's this other person's responsibility. So you have two people waiting on the other person to move and you're just blinding each other. You're endangering each other. You're wounding each other. Years could go by. So notice here, Jesus says, you got something at the altar. This guy could say, but you don't understand what he said to me. You don't understand what she posted online. You don't understand what they've done. Jesus says, no, 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 leave the gift. You take the initiative of healing first and then, right? Failure to reconcile negatively affects our worship. So there you are. Leave your gift before the altar and go first to be reconciled. Notice that reconciliation purifies worship. So long as there wasn't reconciliation, there couldn't be purity of worship. And purity of worship was vital to the Day of Atonement. When there is animosity or hate or bitterness in our heart, you cannot worship with a genuine worship. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 66, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, we know this anecdotally. Maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, you don't understand, preacher. I can loathe my husband and still worship Jesus. I can be angry at my kids. Maybe you were this morning trying to try to get them ready and still worship in spirit and the truth. Let me tell you, you, you can't. And we know this anecdotally. How many people are here in this church this morning because you have refused to reconcile the people at your previous church? How many people are not here at this church, but they're somewhere else because they refuse to reconcile with people here? We know this, don't we? We know this is a problem. Has it not affected our worship? Preacher didn't visit me when I had that ingrown toenail. I guess I'll move on. I didn't like the music guy's attitude. My kid's Sunday school teacher said something that really bothered me. I can't believe the deacons did that or they didn't do this, whatever it might be. We can come up with a list. It is hard to sing the love of Jesus with a scowl. Wouldn't you agree? It is hard to seek forgiveness when we refuse to forgive. It is hard to grow when we are stuck in the past. If we took Jesus seriously here this morning, how many of us would be right here in this sanctuary? How many of us right now need to leave the gift at the altar and go and be reconciled? Here we are in our nice sanctuary with our Bibles in hand. How many of us, probably the far majority of us, need to go and be reconciled? The reason we fail to take relational reconciliation seriously is because we fail to take spiritual reconciliation seriously. If only we knew what it costs God to reconcile us with Him, we would stop thinking and dwelling on our hurts and start working and striving for peace. Who here in this church needs to be reconciled this morning? What family member comes to mind? What coworker? What friend? Well, I believe that reconciliation purifies worship. I believe it also heals relationships. If strife harms our spiritual lives, it will certainly harm our personal life. 
the baby knows. The Notice the urgency. Uh, the baby's trying to tell y'all. You need to listen up, right? Notice the urgency of Jesus' language here starting in verse, verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Right now, he had talked about court previously, so, so I, I don't want to dwell on that. But here's his point. He says, just as the time of salvation is now, so is the time of reconciliation now. The urgency is made very clear. Tomorrow is too late. We are not to allow bitterness and anger or hate or envy to poison our hearts or to separate us from other people. The time for reconciliation is now. This is the problem we enter into, right? Well, again, if, if when, when they do X, I'll respond. And so we wait around and we only get more bitter. We only get, complain more. We only whine more because we're waiting for this person. We haven't expressed this to this person, right? That really hurt me. I really think if, if you can help me in this area, we won't communicate it. No, they're just supposed to know by os osmosis or something. I don't know. They can read minds. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting only for us to sink deeper into the poison of hate. Jesus uses the image of a judge and a threat of imprisonment to make his point. The nature of the crime isn't given. But that does not affect its purpose. Jesus is arguing that if you go unreconciled long enough, you will be punished until everything is repaid. And the assumption is you'll never be able to pay it off. A and poison to ruin one's relationship will seep into the next relationship. You've got to see that. You have to see that. Chances are... Uh, many of you may be in the dating scene. Some of y'all remember the dating scene. And chances are you had a relationship that went bad. What did you do? What was the greatest temptation you had? When you jumped to the next relationship, your number one concern was not to go through the same thing. Which meant you judged this new relationship with all the hopes and dreams you had for it by your hurts in the past. Why? You never addressed the hurts of the past. You allow poison in your heart, it will, it will ruin the relationships that you have now. It will ruin the church that you worship at now. It will ruin the marriage that God has given you now. It will ruin your, your job that you have now. Some of us here, we may have jumped from one job to another thinking that the boss was the problem. The issue is you jump to the next office thinking everything will be fine, but you were to death you're going to see the same signs. When you refuse to reconcile, you're already ruining and wounding the people now around you who love you because you're judging them by, by others and wounds that have yet to be healed. Well, let us remember the context by which Jesus speaks here. Remember, if you go back to verse 20, the issue is your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that is the context of everything Jesus says here and really for the rest of this chapter. The law cares about outward obedience, not inward righteousness. So you could be here today and say, no, you understand. I'm a good person. I didn't, I didn't clench my fist. I, I, I didn't punch a hole in the wall. I didn't raise my voice. What a great person I, I am. But inside, you are seething with rage against someone who said something to you, who did something to you. Are you more righteous than the religious elites? I don't think so. So what Jesus is saying here, that unless you do the hard work of resetting the bone, unless you do the hard work of reconciliation, you are no better than the hypocrites. Let that sink in. That's the context. If we want our righteousness to surpass that of the religious elites, we must first be free of anger and bitterness. That's verses 21 and 22. Secondly, be eager and willing to reconcile, verses 23 to 26. 
Now, I want you to notice, you cannot have one without the other. If you want to be free from bitterness, reconcile. If you want to reconcile, choose love over resentment. You can't have one without the other. You cannot reconcile with people you loathe. You cannot, you cannot be free from loathing if you do not reconcile. So in the time that remains, the Methodists are already at, are already at uh, Cracker Barrel, so it's okay. With the time that remains, I want us to, to look at what exactly, what is the process of reconciliation? Now, we've gone through this a thousand times. And for a thousand times, most of us have forgotten it. So here's 1,001 time, okay? What is the process of reconciliation? Here's the first one. Be reconciled with God. Here, here, can I just give you a hint? A lot of your personal relationships are failing is because your spiritual relationship is failing. Relationships is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, which apparently I didn't say that either. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation, forgiveness, and healing all are spiritual issues. Many of us could save money on therapists and, spend, and save time on YouTube videos, self-help books, if we understood this point. Vertical reconciliation is the foundation to horizontal reconciliation. You will not reconcile with your father until you've been reconciled with God, your father. Just can't do it. Secondly, we must confess our sins to one another. James 5, 6, I didn't put it up here either. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice that James associates confession with healing, prayer with healing. What holds us back from reconciliation is often our refusal to move until the other confesses of doing all the wrong. It is amazing, isn't it? It's like, oh, I would love to be at peace with this person. I'd love to have a good relationship. They need to know they did everything wrong. It's not the way it works. Until you confess, as we've said, the role you've contributed to this division and strife, you will have no peace. You have no peace. We must confess our sins. That requires humility. It requires us to look in the mirror and say, if someone had said those things to me, if someone had written those things to me, if someone had ignored me like that, if someone had gotten angry at me like that, how would I respond? Why am I exempt from accountability? Let me confess my sins. Confession brings with it repentance. It is not enough to say my bad. We must rather repent of our actions. They must be clearly identified as wrong and damaging, and we must move in the direction of healing and righteousness. We must confess and repent. Thirdly, we must forgive. There can be no reconciliation without forgiveness. Forgiveness is not overlooking sin or acting as if there are no wounds. It is refusing to be defined by those wounds and hurts. You can hold on to the pain. And, and, and see how happy that makes you. Uh, unforgiveness is like uh, drinking a cup of poison hoping someone else dies from it. Hold on to that anger. Hold on to that resentment. Hold on to that contempt. Hold on to that malice and see how happy it will make you and see how it blesses your next relationships. You want peace? You want joy? You want freedom? Choose forgiveness. And of course, forgiveness is a gospel issue. All these are. 
For we have been forgiven of much. How can we forgive, not forgive those of such little? Forgiveness is both an immediate decision and it is a process, which means you must choose to forgive. Boom, you're done. At the same time, you must constantly forgive. It's both. One of the things I find in pastoral ministries, people say, but I have forgiven. Why am I still angry? It's because you need to keep forgiving. It's both. You must forgive. You got to keep forgiving. It is a process. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust, yet it is essential for personal, relational, spiritual healing. If Jesus can forgive those who are crucifying him, why can't you forgive the people in your lives? What is holding you back? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? You should probably confess that and repent of it. Fourthly, restitution. Although we should be able to forgive without restitution, it can be a crucial part of healing. Restitution demonstrates genuine repentance. If you want a biblical reference here, it's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus could have came and said, man, what a terrible human being I am. I blind people who don't dim their lights when they come after me, right? I'm a terrible person. And, you know, he robbed people of their money. But other than that, right? You know, what he could have said is, God forgive me, and God would. But having been received much, he gave more than what it is he took. He made restitution. So, too, if we have taken, if we have taken advantage of whatever it is, what is taken must be restored. What was lost must be found. And the source of the problem, which is the self, must become the source of healing. What we often think is, look, man, I said in my bad, what's your problem? I, I, I can tell you, here's a whole list of things. They can be solved with a single conversation. One of the things we should consider is if, if, if I'm the problem, I should now seek to become the solution. Fifthly and finally, reconciliation. When the source of the vision, that is sin, is addressed, and grace is, is extended between both parties, and when the wrongs have been made right, the two parties should be ready to reconcile. Now, reconciliation, like forgiveness, is not the same thing as trust. But while forgiveness is something you and I can control, reconciliation requires two parties. I was counseling a man who was going through uh, the end of his marriage. They ended up getting divorced. And I don't know how many times I had to say to him, we are wasting our time if your wife won't come. If you're wanting peace, we we can talk about you and, and everything else, but if you're wanting to save the marriage... It takes the two people in the marriage to save it. Same thing with reconciliation. You have the power to choose forgiveness right now as you're sitting here, right now. But it takes two people to bring about reconciliation. But what reconciliation does is it restores what has been broken. It is the resetting of the bone. It takes time. It is hard work. And it may require a lot of pain where you have to be confronted with a lot of issues in your life that you don't want to confront. Old hurts, old pains, old habits. But you have to reset the bone if you want to be healed. What did Paul write in 2 Corinthians? I didn't put it up there either. Boy, I must have hit, did not hit save. But I'll go back there and I'll hit save. It'll be fine. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's amazing, isn't it? Having received the, the, the message of reconciliation, we've been charged with the ministry of reconciliation. It's worth meditating on. Well, again, let's come back to this context. 
When it comes to anger, it isn't enough to avoid violence. We must reconcile with those we are separated from. And if we can be reconciled with Christ, why can't we not be reconciled with others? The world is full of violence and hate. Surely you and I can model a better way. Surely we can. The gospel says that no sin is too great, no folly too far, no rebellion too mighty, that God's grace will not cover them. Now, let us go and show it to other people. Will you forgive your spouse? Or are you just going to keep slamming doors? Will you be reconciled with your parents? Or are you just going to keep refusing to call them? Will you heal with your coworker, your friends, your neighbors? Or are you just going to keep separated from them? Look at the cross. What is the answer to that question? So maybe you're one of two people here. Maybe you're here and you know there's plenty of people in your life who are carrying a lot of wounds in your life and you know that the real root of the problem is you've never been reconciled to Christ. I beg of you this morning to come to the cross. Christ has suffered for you. Enough blood has been shed. Enough sorrow, enough tears have, has, has been offered. Christ can forgive you. Christ will heal you. Or maybe you're here, and on the one hand, you have the righteousness of the Pharisees that says, I'm a good person, I'm not to blame, whatever it might be. But in reality, you're over here, and you realize, by conviction of the Spirit, you're a hypocrite. There's someone in your life that God has put in your heart and mind right now. Will you be reconciled? Do you need to leave your gift at the altar? And if so, I beg of you in this time of invitation to come. Lay your gift, lay your brokenness, lay your sorrows, lay your resentment, lay your contentment before the cross and go and be reconciled. Let's pray.